uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. When looking at my hair, I need a haircut. It is Wednesday, the 11th day of January. The first month of the year is already a third gone. And we are looking at the second episode of the 2023 season of Squirrel Chatter. Good to have you with us. Uh, I missed being here yesterday, but uh, I uh, left the house at 5.45 yesterday morning to go drive a bus. And uh, it, was a, it was a long day. <laughs> I'm glad I got home. When I got home, I wasn't going anywhere. I was supposed to go to a, take a CPR class last night to renew my CPR card. And I, I texted the guy and said, I will not be at the class tonight. Because I had just gotten home from driving the bus after, you know. When you leave at 545, you have an early alarm. And uh, my alarm had gone off at 430, I think. And that was early. That was really early. I was sleeping well. And the alarm went off and I got up and I went and drove the bus. And I got home about 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon and it was like, I'm not going anywhere tonight. So I didn't. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. I had a good night's sleep last night. Hope you did too. I got coffee. Hope you do too. Unless you're Chris Honholtz who does not like coffee. He also doesn't like Christmas. He's a, he's a humbug. You know, anybody who doesn't think Elf is funny is just, yeah, it's sad. Um, and uh, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated primarily to the exposition of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. We live stream daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch at 7.30 Mountain Time. And we can be found audioly. <laughs> audioly, is that a word? The audible, the audio of the podcast can be found <laughs> wherever you find fine podcasts. Um, and we are part of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. And I encourage you to do so. All right. We are looking today. We did introduction to Deuteronomy on Monday. And we are going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 1 today. And again, what we are doing is what I'm calling a study Bible level exposition. Chapter by chapter through books of the Bible, starting with Deuteronomy. We're going to read through the chapter and, and I will make comments at various points during the reading and, and again, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be a deep exegesis. It's not going to be, you know, a long sermon or anything like that. It's going to be, you know, study Bible level. And, and for that purpose, I'm, I'm actually using mostly, not entirely, but mostly, excuse me, 
study Bible notes to prepare for the day. I've got my MacArthur Study Bible. I've got a Reformation Study Bible. Those are kind of the primaries that I'm looking at. Um, and interestingly enough, those are ones that I go go to um, when I start to prepare a sermon. I'll do my outline of a sermon text, and then the first place I go is study Bibles before I go to commentaries to look on other looks at the passage. I also have the Life Application Study Bible that I'm taking a look at. Um, those are the three main ones. Um, I've got a, a print version of the ESV Study Bible around here somewhere, but I'm not using it because <laughs> it's packed away somewhere. Um, I, I have more than one paper Bible within reach, but only one study Bible, and that's my MacArthur study Bible over here behind me. You can see it's down in the stack because I actually haven't been using the physical Bible for the study work. I've been using um, electronic software, but this is my large print MacArthur study Bible that I had rebound for me by Jeffrey Rice at Post Tenebris Lux in a dark brown cowhide and uh, it is I, I wanted something tough so I went with cowhide and uh, and uh, this is this is the large print MacArthur study Bible which is what I consider my desk Bible it's New American Standard because they haven't come out with they haven't come out with a Legacy Standard Bible, MacArthur Study Bible, yet. Although, I do have... Did I show it on Monday? I just got my uh, Legacy Standard Bible center... Are they calling it center margin? What do they call this thing? It's the, uh, it's the first reference edition that has come out with the... Uh, Inside Column Reference Bible. So on the center margin, you see the footnotes and the uh, um, cross-references and everything that in a reference Bible. It's got 11-point type, so it's actually more type, more uh, larger type. The, the large print wide margin has 10.5-point type. This has 11-point type. So it's actually even bigger than the large print. Makes it m very easy to read. This will be my my primary preaching Bible after this because it's much easier to read than the, the large print wide margin. It is a bigger Bible because of the the inside column references. And this is the, the burgundy goat skin. Um, nice, soft leather much softer than the cowhide on my MacArthur which is why I want to get a a case for it um, and you can just see how soft and flexible it is and so I want to get uh, they're supposed to be coming out it doesn't fit in the current Bible armor that uh, steadfast Bibles has put out but they're having they're having a new larger, Bible armor, so there'll be a regular and large size Bible armor you can get for your uh, Legacy Standard Bible. Um, that's going to be coming, I think pre-orders are this Friday. So in just a couple of days, I'll uh, order one of those for this. 
because I don't really want to take it anywhere. <laughs> um, because it, the the cover is so soft, I, I've actually thought about getting another one of these and having it recovered in a, a tougher skin. Obviously, if I do that, I won't buy a goatskin Bible. I'll buy a you know basically I just want the text block. So uh, I don't know if the hardback could work. It might because of the way they construct them. But if not, you know, getting the 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 uh, fake leather cover um, and having having it rebound in what I'd really like and and uh, the last time I talked to, to Jeffrey Rice he didn't have he wasn't doing anything like that um, and the last time I talked to him was when I had this covered in the cowhide what I'd really like is a Bible cover the, the having a Bible recovered in like a horsehide um, uh, holster leather, you know, a, a, a good, tough, durable, working Bible that, you know, it's not going for elegance, it's not going for style, it's going for throw it in the back seat of the car and go preach somewhere. Um, that's kind of that. That's what I would love. It's just like a, a tough horsehide cover, you know, or a heavy tooling leather, like a saddle leather cover. Um, but nobody seems to to do rebinding in leather like that. It's all even the even this cowhide is fairly soft. It's like I said, it's much stiffer than the 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 goat goat skin but it's still you know if that makes sense I, a tough horsehide or tooling leather type tough bible so if you are a bible rebinder and if uh you know you'd like to do something like that drop me a line at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com let me know you're out there and uh, we might talk about something like that all right Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll get to that after our prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1. As I mentioned in our brief introduction on Monday, this was... Moses's uh, 
This is a collection of Moses's final addresses to the Israelites before his death and their passing in to conquer the land. And again, this is written to the generation after the generation of the Exodus, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. Now, it's been 3,400 years since these events. And these locations have been lost to us, the exact locations. We don't know exactly where this was. Um, we know it's east of the Jordan River. It's somewhere in the modern nation of Jordan. The Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee south into the Dead Sea. And the, the where it empties into the Dead Sea is almost due east of Jerusalem. And so this, I believe, is probably somewhere along, it's along the Jordan River, we know that. It's most likely along the southern end, you know, north of the Dead Sea. Um, probably very near to the traditional location of Jesus' baptism, which is also something we're not sure of. Although apparently the kingdom of Jordan is building a huge um, uh, complex there for tourism. Anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Continuing with the scripture, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now Horeb, that's Mount Sinai. That is where the law was given. And honestly, we don't know the location of Mount Sinai either. Um, the traditional location in the southern, near the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula um, may or may not be Mount Sinai, and there's a lot of indication it probably isn't, <laughs> um, because we know that uh, um, you know Moses, when he saw the burning bush, he was in Midia, being a, a herdsman for his father-in-law, and Midia is east of the the whatever the easternmost the one is the Gulf of Sinai and then it's Gulf of Aquaba. I don't remember which one it is, but Midia is east of the, the Red Sea. So if he was in Midia herding his grandfather his father in law's goats when he saw the burning bush, and that's the mountain that God told him to bring the Israelites to to worship God, then it wouldn't have been in the Sinai Peninsula. It would be in what is today Saudi Arabia. Um, and there's lots of 
speculation on that. And the reason there's so much speculation is we don't know. We don't know. It's been, you know, over 3,000 years. Um, they didn't have Google Maps. <laughs> they, they weren't able to put a waypoint there. They knew the location. But generations and generations and generations removed have forgotten the location. Um, because it wasn't like it was just down the street. You know, it wasn't a place that they frequented. It was far off in the wilderness. So we don't know that location. Going back even further, excuse me, we don't know the location of Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat in Turkey wasn't named Mount Ararat until like the 17th or 18th centuries. And I think it was probably a tourist gig to get Christians to come climb the mountain and spend money in the towns. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, it talks about the ark landing in the mountains of Ararat, which would mean it was like a mountain range that we have not identified now and was probably in northern Iran because they traveled west from the landing point of the Ark to the plains of Shinar where they started to build the Tower of Babel. So the, the mountains of Ararat were east of Babylon, not, you know, in Turkey, which is northwest of Babylon. So that's, you know, again, speculation. We don't know these locations because it was so long ago. Um, that, that this is something that, that bothers people, is the fact that we don't have a great deal of certainty of these things, meaning we don't have absolute knowledge of where all these things took place. But, you know, that's, that's uh, um, even just a few hundred years ago, some of the battles in medieval Europe that, that, you know, we're not talking thousands of years ago. We're talking, you know, hundreds of years ago. We don't know the exact locations of. Um, now, just over 100 years ago, we do have pretty good idea of where the battles were in the Civil War, where the battles were in World War I, where the battles were in World War II. We can be pretty exact on that, and the reason is it hasn't been very long since the warriors who fought there have passed away. But if the Lord tarries another 3,500 years, you're going to have a tough time pinpointing the location of Gettysburg or pinpointing the location of, you know, Shiloh, or pinpointing the location of, um, you know, one of the battles of World War I in 3,500 years, because knowledge gets lost. So chances are, and, and, and of course, even with our modern technology, we have better records, but it, it's not, you know... Uh, computer records and stuff are not permanent. <laughs> um, that's one of the things I was thinking. They've, you know, I, I've used a lot of CDs as computer storage. And they figure the lifespan of a CD is probably about 50 years. And then it won't be usable. 
the plastic degrades. It, it just won't be won't be usable. It won't be readable. Um, which means that some of the music in my music collection is probably 20 years away from the end of its life as a CD, a compact disc. Um, and digital records aren't permanent. You know, all it takes is, you know, one good electromagnetic pulse and we'd lose all of our digital records. So we don't know these exact locations. Now, Mount Sayre is believed to be south of the Dead Sea. So this is talking about the route that they took, again, east of the Dead Sea, but south of the Dead Sea. And Kadesh Barnea is a very important location for the Israelite wandering in the wilderness. Now, we, we, I put wandering in the wilderness in quotes in my notes because one of the things that we think about, when you think of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, you get this image of tired and footsore, stumbling through the desert day after day after day for 40 years. That wasn't the case. They encamped at places for long periods of time, and the longest period of time they encamped was at Kadesh Barnea. Now, they encamped at Mount Sinai for right around two years because they built the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff. All that work took place at Mount Sinai, which is one of the reasons why the Sinai Peninsula might not be the best location because they were grazing herds and, I mean, they were living there for two years, so they had to have resources. They, they were in the middle of the wilderness, but that doesn't mean they were in the middle of the desert. Um, so, and of course, I think the climates changed. It was probably cooler and wetter at that time than it is now. It's been, you know, do I believe in global warming? Yes, I do. The earth has been slowly warming since the end of the ice age, which occurred after the flood of Noah. Now, how do I know that? Look at where civilization began. If you had an ice age, you have the flood of Noah, then you have an ice age. And it's during the ice age that civilization is beginning to be founded where? Equatorial regions. Babylon, the Mes Mesopotamia, Egypt. This is where civilization begins to flourish. And the reason it begins to flourish is that's the temperate zone. They got plenty of rainfall. They had, you know, croplands. They were able to do much more than, than today. You look at those areas today. I mean, I, I was astounded by some of the temperatures in Babylon or Beirut, not Beirut, uh, um, Baghdad during uh, American occupation of Iraq. Because I never really paid attention to daily temperatures in Iraq. But they were looking at, you know, 120, you know, degrees highs during the day. That's not really a place you're going to settle today. There are people living there now because it was settled thousands of years ago. But if you were, you know, walking around now and looking for a place to settle, 
a place in the middle of the desert with 120, 130 degree high temperatures every day is not the place you're going to look at to settle. So it was much cooler there because the northern and southern hemispheres were covered in ice and it was much colder. As the ice melt and as the ice age ended, people spread out from the equatorial regions north and south because suddenly these lands were habitable. And indeed, the old lands were becoming less habitable. And so people spread out. So I think at this time, it was probably cooler and wetter, um, which means you possibly could have had grazing land on the Sinai Peninsula, if that was the in the traditional location. But you also could have had, like I said, east of the of the Red Sea in the area we believe to be where the Medians had settled, who were also descended of Abraham. Um, don't forget, um, they were descended from Abraham by his by Keturah, his second wife after Sarah died. Not something many people think about. So Kadesh Barnea is an important camp for Israel. This was a, an important place for them to settle. It's in the wilderness of Zin in the hill country of the Amorites. That's where it's described as. And it seems that of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they spent somewhere around 35 of those years encamped at Kadesh Barnea. So they weren't wandering day by day through the wilderness, they were encamped, um, almost settled. But it's called the wandering. They were living in tents. They were not building houses. They were, you know, God did not allow that really because they were not quote unquote home yet. They were in the wilderness waiting for that generation to die off. Now, it says here that, that uh, it was an 11 days journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. This is a statement of distance, not of time. <laughs> um, because this would, the 11 days journey, you know, at like a caravan pace, not at the pace of millions of people, which Israel was. Um, when they, they left uh, Mount Sinai to head to the promised land, it took them several weeks. It was more than 11 days. So this is an 11-day journey is like, you know, two guys and a good camel could do it in 11 days. Now, it's not a record-breaking pace. You know, it's not somebody like, you know, trying to do the cannonball run in less than 30 hours or something um, from New York to El New York to San Diego. Um, that wasn't what they, you know, we're not talking about some sort of endurance, get there as fast as you can, but we're also not talking about the moving of an entire nation. So it's an 11 days journey. That's a, a statement of distance. We do that today. We talk about light years in stellar distances. Um, the distance light travels in a year. We're not going to go that fast, but um, that's how we, it's a measurement of distance. Continuing. 
Now it happened in the 40th year, it's the 40th year since the Exodus, on the first day of the 11th month, which would be midwinter of approximately 1405 BC. So we're looking January, February, about this time of year. Um, so in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that Yahweh had commanded him to give to them after he had struck down Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edri. Across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying. So we have here this, this recounting. Moses is speaking to the Israelites. As I said, this book is the last addresses of Moses to, his, to the Israelite people. And he's telling them everything that Yahweh had commanded him. He is a prophet. He is speaking for God. He is communicating God's wishes and God's knowledge to the Israelites. In the book of Deuteronomy, he's reminding them of the past and then telling them of the future. And this first chapter is reminding them of the past. And it starts here, it talks about um, that this took place after he had struck down Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and Edri. So this is when they began to move toward the promised land at the end of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they met opposition and there were several battles, which Israel won. I'm not going to recount those. You can look them up yourself. They're in the book of Numbers. Um, Exodus tells the story of the departure from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Leviticus is mostly law. It's mostly the commandments of how the, how the tabernacle is to operate, the priesthood, all of that, the number of sacrifices and stuff. Very important stuff, but it doesn't advance the narrative. I think there are a couple of, a couple of little narrative parts in it, but mostly it's, you know, 32 cows, 14 bulls, a ram, a goat, two turtle doves, and a ton of flour on Tuesday at 4 p.m. It's mostly that sort of stuff. Numbers, which we think of as this dry book that, you know, is just full of the counting of the, the Israelite tribes. Numbers actually is, the, is where we find the story of the wandering in the wilderness and the, the final battles as they approach the promised land, the battles that are referenced here. Um, and then Deuteronomy is the final book giving us Moses' final addresses before Israel was to enter the promised land. And this took place, we're told, across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, so this is across the Jordan from Israel. It's on the east bank, or east of the Jordan River. That's across the Jordan. Whenever we get a message like, you know, across the Jordan, 
it's always referring to east of the Jordan. Now, the people at the time were east of the Jordan, and they were going to go across the Jordan into Israel, or the land of Canaan. But <laughs> whenever we're given these cardinal directions, it's always in reference to Israel and Jerusalem. Um, even in other prophecies, you know, um, there are, you know, let's think uh, Daniel talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar ruled the whole world. Well, he didn't rule Hawaii. He didn't rule China or Japan. He didn't rule the Americas. He didn't rule Northern Europe. He didn't rule the entire globe. What he ruled was the whole world around Jerusalem. Everything in all of these prophecies is Jerusalem-centric, to coin a phrase. And so when he says it's across the Jordan, it's across the Jordan from Jerusalem, across the Jordan from Israel. And Moses undertook to expound the law. He is going to explain the law to the Israelites. Now, as I said, you know, Deuteronomy, the name means second law or retelling of the law. And it is, in many ways, a recounting of the law. It's not a new law. But there is new application given in the law, as we'll see. When you read Leviticus, even the, the last chapters of Exodus, you see that much of the law deals with how Israel was to camp in the wilderness, where the tabernacle was to be in, placed and where the, the um, different tribes were to camp around. The, the, okay, that's not going to be applicable anymore because they're going into the land to possess it. So in a lot of ways, Moses is taking the law, which doesn't change, and he's applying it now to a settled existence in the land as opposed to an unsettled existence in the wilderness. Same law, different applications. So Moses is going to explain the law. Moses says, Yahweh our God spoke to us at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. As I said, Israel had camped at Sinai for just over two years. They had been there long enough to construct the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, and all its furnishings. Long period of time, lots of stuff to do. They did all of that. There had to be grazing land, there had to be water sources, all of that stuff there. And we know there were, because if there hadn't have been grazing land and stuff, Moses would never have been grazing his father-in-law's goats there. Just something to think about. Continuing. Turn and set out and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the Shephelah, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, 
I have given over the land before you. Go in and possess the land which Yahweh swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and to their seed after them. The land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a real land with real borders. It's geographical, not allegorical. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the first mention of the land. And Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. God had a specific land in mind. Genesis 15, a couple of chapters later. And God said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. You know, what was the purpose of calling Abraham? One of the purposes was to give him this land. Genesis 17, verse 8. God again speaking. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So here in this passage, we see the, the, the land. It says it's the hill country of the Amorites, all their neighbors in Arabah, in the hill country, and in the Shephelah, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So basically, the promised land is the entire coastland of the Eastern Mediterranean, from Egypt to Turkey. The northern boundary is the Euphrates River. The eastern boundary is actually across the Jordan. Western boundary is the seacoast. Southern boundary is Egypt. This was a large section of land. And we are going to see again and again, as we go through Deuteronomy, the importance of the land promises. Um, not just important then, they're important now. And, and an understanding of those land promises is very important. But as I said, it's geographical, not allegorical. It's not a symbol of something else. It is an actual land defined in Scripture. Moses continues, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. Yahweh your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. So at that time, this is the first time they got to the promised land. Um, he says, at that time, the Israelites numbered in the millions of people. Now, when we get to the modern time, the group that he's talking to now, which is the generation after that generation, they had not shrunk in the wilderness. They had grown. That entire generation that refused to enter the land had died off as a judgment from God. But the people had grown in number to enter into the land. Moses continues and says, 
May Yahweh, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. So Moses' prayer here is based on God's promises, which is a very good model for prayer. Pray God's promises that what God has said will he will make to come to pass. So Moses now says to the people, says, you've grown great in number. God has multiplied you. I pray that he will multiply you more just as he promised you. But how can I alone bear the load and burden of you in your strife? Choose wise and understanding and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. Then you answered and said to me, the thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and gave them as heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officers for your tribes. This is found in Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. I'm going to read it briefly to you just to, to show you the context. This is, you know, expands the context of what he says here in Deuteronomy. Exodus 18, beginning in verse 13. Now it happened the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. So he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the matters to God. Then warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work they shall do. But you shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, those who hate greedy gain, and you shall place these men over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens." And they will judge the people at all times. And it will be that every major matter they will bring to you, but every minor matter they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. <coughs> Excuse me, I did not get to my cough button. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose excellent men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. The difficult matter they would bring to Moses, but every minor matter they themselves would judge. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went on his way into his own land. So that, that's the account from Exodus 18. Here, Moses says that he is choosing, scroll back up. Uh, uh, so I took the heads of your tribes, 
wise and experienced men. Wise and experienced men. The 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 uh, um, this is the the uh, criteria that his father-in-law had set out. But you shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, so devout and honest, those who hate greedy gain, so they're not corrupt, and you shall place these men over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, etc. Wise and understanding and experienced men. So we're looking at men of proven wisdom. They're not foolish. They're men of proven knowledge. They're not ignorant. And they're men who are experienced. So they're not too young. So these are people who have actually accomplished something. These are people who are already being looked at as leaders. And the reason they're being looked at as leaders is they are men of accomplishment. They're respected for their wisdom and their knowledge. Um, and their experience. They're not young kids. Then I commanded your judges at that time, Moses continues, we're back in Deuteronomy 1, saying, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously. Now, judging is applying the law. And frankly, most governing, and governing that's done well, let me get political here for a minute, governing that is done well is not making new law. Government that is done well is applying just law righteously. So the purpose of a government is not to make endless laws. The purpose of the government is to apply the principles of the law to specific instances and to do so righteously and impartially, as we will see. So, so judge righteously. That's apply the law. Between a man and his brother or the sojourner who is with you. So apply the law to the people. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man for the judgment is God's. So apply the law with impartiality. Be fair. Fair and equitable in the application of the law. And then he says, the cases that are too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So these are wise principles for governing. Now these were not typically criminal cases. These were more disputes between people. And they would be settled by applying the law. Now, some of them may have been criminal. You know, he stole my goat. Um, but judging here and governing is the application of the law to specific circumstances. And so that is 
you know, good principles of judgment, of government here in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. And folks, we've gone on for almost an hour, so I am going to make a mark right here just to let me know that that is where we stopped. That's why you love an iPad. That's where we stopped, and we will pick up there tomorrow. So we did not get through chapter 1 today. Uh, that's just the way of it. Um, but this gives you a little bit better idea of what we're planning on doing. Like I said, it's not deep exegesis, but we're, we're going to come away with hopefully a better understanding of the scriptures as we work our way through the scriptures. I'll scroll past my Deuteronomy notes to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks, have a great Wednesday. Lunchtime today, we're halfway through the week. So I wish you the best of Wednesdays. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.